Hey, 211's Baseball Talk fans. Now, this week's podcast is rated explicit due to a few curse words in the episode. Please stay conscious of that and enjoy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to day four of quarantine. My name is Dylan Baker, and I guess there's a podcast to record. Nah, I'm just kidding. Welcome to episode 48 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. We've got Brent Wales on the show coming up in just a little bit, so get set for the ride. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of 211's Baseball Talk. That was Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, because as baseball fans right now, it's what we have to do. We can't stop believing that there will be a baseball season coming up. So today we have Brent Wales on the podcast for the third time. If you do recall, Brent was on with us for episode 10, I believe, and then was on a few episodes after that. With Brent today, we're going to talk about the latest MLB coronavirus news, life as a college ball player, and the MLB The Show controversial ratings. Of course, MLB The Show came out yesterday. We'll talk all about that in today's episode. Brent, how are you? I'm doing great, Bates. How are you doing? I am fantastic. So let's get right into things. The situation just keeps getting worse. The CDC band grouping was over 50 people for eight weeks, which means no sports for at least that length of time. We have also seen two cases in the New York Yankees minor league system, which is far from ideal for the, MI, for the MLB and the MILB. The owners, the players and brass around the league are hoping for a June return to play. Disappointing for fans, but necessary to slow the spread of the virus. What have your thoughts been on the league's handling of the coronavirus so far? Uh, honestly, like from a from a safety standpoint, I, I think they're doing the right thing. You know, I, I think pushing it back, following the CDC's recommendations, is is fantastic. Um, but I mean, saying like mid June or whatever is when the resume to play is. You got to wonder if that's going to be like the resume for spring training, or if that's going to be which then, then, you know, will cause the regular season to get pushed out even you know, farther, or if they're just kind of, you know, you know, pull an old college adage and show and go, and, and you know, half the league's on the DL within the first three weeks. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, so do you think that the MLB is going to have to shrink the season a little bit to fit in that length of time, or will they just play on into November? Uh, I mean, it, I, I think they just shrink the season – just based on the fact that the owners want to make money. So moving, you know, the season into, you know, playoffs into November, World Series into November, you know, they'd have to get paid at neutral sites and then the owners aren't going to make as much money as they they would, right? So why not just change the season, do the regular postseason, or even maybe get rid of one round in the postseason and, you know, away we go and then, you know, wrap it up and then, Hopefully next year, you know, this, this doesn't really does hit again. That would be ideal. What do you think realistically would be a shortened season for the MLB without having the owners' uh, revenue impacted too much and the fans still being able to enjoy the, se- the season? Uh, a, a lot of the things that I've been following online with like different sports supporters and that guys are saying like 100 games would kind of be like the, the bare minimum. Um, you know, if it's going to, if they have to play less than a hundred, then, you know, it might not be worth it. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I agree with that. Um, because again, you know, it's, unfortunately, you know, you got billionaire owners saying it's all about the money. We got to make money. Well, you know, tell that to Tampa Bay, who's what, like 28th in payroll. Like, just just let the guys play, you know, let them, you know, do their thing. Like, I could see like a 120 game schedule, you know, I think that'd be kind of fair. Um, you know. But again, you know, a lot of it will come down to GBA and, 
and the, the union versus the owners. And, and then, of course, you know, whatever Manfred decides to, you know, screw shit up with. So with the MLB probably being delayed till June, as you mentioned, how does that affect independent league baseball and even youth baseball? Will we see, like, crazy fans at youth baseball games this year? What do you think happens to the lower levels, like the IBL in, in Ontario here, that you are the pitching coach and third base coach for the London Majors, I am the color commentator for the Majors. How do you think that impacts the independent league teams and youth baseball? Uh, youth baseball, I mean, I don't see it getting that impacted that much. You know, parents are still going to come out, friends and family are still going to come out, see kids play, stuff like that. Uh, independent teams, that... Uh, I, I might have, be a, have a hot take on it, but I think they're going to actually draw more just because of the fact that everybody's going to, you know, have been cooped up for potentially, you know, a couple of months before the season starts. There's going to be like nothing else to do as far as like a community get together sort of thing. So I think we're going to see a lot more people at ballparks because they're going to be able to, you know, actually get out there and be social as opposed to just sitting at home watching, you know, the NBA for sure and i'm sure fans want to maximize the amount of baseball that they're able to see in this shortened season due to the coronavirus so we'll see how the mlb continues to react to this ongoing changing situation we'll see what other leagues do of course you can follow the leagues on social media uh you can see what's going on baseball ontario is a great place to check baseball canada of course on twitter instagram facebook and if you're interested in the intercounty baseball league ibl 1919 on uh, Instagram, I'm not sure what their Twitter handle is, Brent. I'm not sure if you know, but uh, you can follow them on Twitter. Yeah, and then uh, Intercounty Baseball League on Facebook. Moving on now to the beginning of our Life As series, a series in which we will talk to someone around the baseball world who had or have currently a specific role around a team or an organization or somebody that played at a high level. Now we can do a few of these with Brent since he has taken on many roles, such as youth coach and now independent league coach. But we're going to begin with life as a college ball player with Brent today. And he pitched at Urbana University beginning in 2004, where he compiled a 2.25 ERA as a reliever while also having a 14.8 strikeout per nine ratio so my first question is, Brent, what steps did you take as a young ball player in order to get yourself into a high-level school? Uh, you know, it's, it's, my answer is not going to be the, the prototypical answer that you're going to hear from a guy that's, you know, in college now it is. Uh, just because basically back, you know, in my day, you know, there, there wasn't as many knowledgeable coaches and, and as many knowledgeable programs, you know, and, and indoor facilities were pretty much non-existent. So, uh, from my standpoint, it was just, you know, I played a lot of ball as a kid. I, I you know, did multi-sport. You know, I didn't specialize too early. Um, you know, then come wintertime, you know, I, I think it was, I was 16, 17 when I started to realize that, like, this could be something that I could, you know, really do. So then I had to get really creative in the sense of, you know, how do I keep my arm, you know, strong and how do I improve my, my arm strength and all that. So, uh, in the winter months, you know, I, I threw in, you know, farmer's barns. I threw in bowling alleys on lanes. I, you know, threw in car shops, you know, in the back where, you know, they fix the cars. Like, I remember my, my dad used to work for uh, a shop in Chaparroy, and we, uh, we got to go in one night. And, you know, most nights when we'd go in, it was pretty empty, but this one night we went in and, like there was one car still up on the rack. They couldn't, um, 
they had to stop working on the day because you know the ship was up. They had a couple other cars in the bay for whatever reason. So I had you know I had my my sixty feet length, but my my width was maybe ten feet, and you know it was you know cars beside me, cars behind me, cars behind my catcher. So you know you want to talk about a control exercise, you know, start throwing a baseball ninety miles an hour and not you know hitting a $50,000, Yeah, and so we, we did some digging and we found a few scouting reports of you in high school back when you were, uh, you were going to perfect game camps and stuff like that. And we've got one that says you were a very good control pitcher. You knew how to work the plate. Did, did that experience in uh, car shops and stuff like that help you? Oh, oh for sure. You know, there's – there's nothing more terrifying than, you know, standing there looking around me going, well, shit, if I miss, and like, if I miss bad, I'm going to, you know, all the money I save for school is going to go pay for, you know, some body repair work to pay for a new window or, or pay for some new machinery at a bowling alley. You, know? so you, you really got to focus on, on hitting your spot. For sure. And you, as, as I just mentioned, you went to some perfect game camps and stuff in, in high school. Do you think that really helped you out as well? Oh, totally, totally. Like being able to go, I think the first one I went to was in uh, Pennsylvania in like during our spring trip and being able to go down there, you know, that was the first time I saw guys either my age or a couple of years younger than me from America to be able to kind of look at it and kind of do a little, little, you know, self check and then see, you know, okay, can I hang with these guys or, or can't I, um, you know, it, I did okay. Um, you know, it gave me enough of a, a boost to be like, yeah, I think I can do this. And then uh, a few months later, I think it was, oh, it was June, my senior year. The, the week of exams, I'm down in Florida uh, at the Red Sox uh, spring training facility. And like, I'm playing against, again, guys that, you know, we had some guys committed to like big D1 schools. Other guys got drafted out of high school. And then there's me, a Canadian kid. I'm pretty sure I was the only Canadian kid. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I can, I can definitely handle this. You know, being able to, get to those events and then get that exposure and, and that just kind of helped to, you know, give me more of a fire to be able to, you know, get myself going to want to try and get down and to, to get an education and to continue to play ball. That's awesome. And so, as I mentioned, you went to Urbana University. What did you take there? <laughs> um, if you look on my, uh, my uh, school records, it says my uh, major was in biology, but realistically and 100% truthfully, my major was baseball. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll never forget the, the first meeting we had with our like, team meeting we had with a coach in uh, January after winter break. He, he sits us all down and he goes, that was, that's too realistic. The only reason you guys are here and the only reason you guys know of this university is because of baseball. Um, <laughs> That he was right. You know, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, say you know I'm there to, to get a good education. No, I was there to play ball. You know, yeah. it allowed me to get a good education. Though. So, was it ever difficult to balance class and being ready to go when it was game time? <laughs> um. Once the season started, no. Now, um, as far as before the season started, oh God, yeah, it, it was a it was a nightmare, um, you know. But again, the way that we prepared it was so that come season time, we we wouldn't have that struggle. But in, in the beginning, yeah, it was it was tough, man. Like you, 
you know, you'd have to be in the weight room for 5 a.m. So you're up at 4, 4.30. You're, you know, you're in the weights for two hours. So that's about 7 o'clock. And, you know, go back to the dorm, shower, change, go to breakfast. And then depending on your schedule, you know, you can start at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, during the, uh, the second semester, so when the season was, uh, our uh, schedules were set up so that we were done class by one o'clock at the latest. So we'd go from class from nine until one or eight thirty until one, one thirty, something like that. Um, then after that, you know, you'd be at the ball field for one thirty or two o'clock. And back then there was no um, restriction as far as hours allowed to practice per week that they have nowadays. So we would literally practice either inside or, you know, once the weather turned nice outside until we couldn't see anymore. And then, you know, we'd literally be running our asses off to get to the cafeteria before it closed. And, you know, it got to the point where the cafeteria workers were fantastic. They knew we were always going to be there like five minutes before they were supposed to close up. So they always held back enough food for us. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, we'd have to, you know, having that meal plan is great, but if the place is closed and locked, you can't use it. So then we'd have to shell out money on your own dime, you know, to, you know, try and find something healthy. And let's be realistic. You're in college, you have little to no money. So you're going to wind up eating Taco Bell, White Castle, McDonald's, you know, whatever cheap options there are. So, um, you know, that, that was, you know, so let's say, you know, that place is good until seven o'clock at night. And then from there, you got to do mandatory study table if you're an incoming freshman or if your GPA is below a certain rate. I think ours was if our GPA was below 2.5. Um, so as a freshman, I had to go sit at study table for, I think that was another two hours. So that puts it about nine o'clock. Um, then usually there's some quote unquote optional work, but again, that's not really optional. You, you had to go and do that. Which again, you know, maybe an hour or for that. So you're not getting home until about 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, and then you gotta, you know, unwind or finish off whatever projects you, you know, were supposed to be doing in study hall, but you weren't because you're too busy, you know, making around with your buddies. And, you know, you know, you're not getting to bed until maybe one o'clock and then you're up again at 4 30 and that, that's your ground every day. So it was, a, it was a tough life at times, I'm sure, when you were in college pitching. Uh, at Urbana, do you think the school put you in a good position to succeed both academically and on the ball field? Um, yeah, for the most part, <laughs> I would. Say. Um, you know, back then again, there was uh, there was some stuff going on uh, as far as academically that um, you know probably shouldn't have been going on, but you know, they, they did what they could do. Um, you know, they they tried to help us out as best we could. Our uh, our coach was, was the guy that set us up for success the most. So, like, he, he just had this way of being able to talk to professors and kind of, you know, getting them to, to bend some rules and, and, you know, give us some extensions on stuff and then maybe give us some, uh, some uh, extra credit for, honestly, things that, you know, a regular student wouldn't get. Like, I received one full credit for being on the baseball team somehow. Wow. Yeah, every year I was there, I just got a credit towards my degree because I was on the ball team. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so. that, that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Final question. Final what question. did that experience, or I know, I know it probably taught you a lot of things, 
what's the main thing that your experience as a college ball player taught you? Uh, time management, really. You know, you look back at everything and, and you know, like you were saying, like it was hard, but you actually say to, you know, be able to do time management. Like looking back at it now, I'm like, I can't believe I did all that. But once you're, you're in it and you're, you're submersed in it and you're doing it, you, it, it's not that hard. So then when you, you know, get into quote unquote the real world, like I am right now, you know, with, uh, aside from the, the COVID-19 stuff going on, you know, I've got a full-time, you know, 40 to 60 hour a week job. And then like you mentioned, coaching with the London majors, you know, I'm out of the house five nights a week and it's not out of the house for a couple hours, five nights a week. It's, it, it itself is another full-time job. So, you know, you're pulling in two full-time jobs and honestly, without, you know, learning whatever sort of the time management standpoint goes from being in college and juggling academics and uh, the athletics, you know, it, it's made life a lot easier on me to be able to do both jobs now. Now, one one last thing: how has how did your usage in college help uh, teach you what you can do with your arms now, working at, at, for a time with the London Tecumseh's? as a youth baseball coach and now with the London majors, how, how, how was your usage useful to you in managing other guys pitching days and their usage out of the bullpen or as a starting pitcher? Oh, it, it, it was huge. Like it, you know, my, uh, my freshman year, I, I essentially learned what not to do as a pitching coach. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, again, this was before pitch smart and before pitch counts and, and guidelines and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it was it was a regular thing for me as a as a reliever. You know, to play a double header on Saturday and a double header on Sunday, maybe. You know, I I pitched three of those four games. You know, one or two innings. You know, so you know if you look at that now, <laughs> you know most parents, coaches, players, they they, they know you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So you know that sort of stuff definitely helped. Um, you know, I kept it in the back of my mind, you know, how I was feeling and you know, how my arm felt and how my arm responded. So then, you know, I was like, I want to remember this for when I do get into coaching because, again, back then there was no pitch camp. Like it, it would be nothing for a starter to go 140 pitches. And then, so again, you know, a side day on, on a Sunday and then a midweek game maybe or then the following Friday. And, you know, so just being able to, to learn from, I don't want to say mistakes because back then – you know, that, that was the norm. But being able to kind of learn from that and draw from that has definitely helped me to be able to, you know, sit down and kind of plot out a rough idea for usage or, or for scheduling bullpens and pitch counts for patterns and, and, and things of that nature. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks again for talking to us about life as a college ball player. We really appreciate it. Moving on now, if you're not a full-time baseball fan, then you may not know that MLB The Show 20, MLB's official video game, was released St. Patrick's Day, which was yesterday at the time of this recording, two days ago at the time of the release. And immediately there were criticisms, not with the game itself, which is pretty darn awesome. I have gotten a chance to play it a few times. It is a wonderful game. But the ratings for certain players have drummed up some controversy. Brand, here's how we'll do this. I'll name a player, I'll let you guess their rating, and then we'll discuss it. That work for you? Yeah, man, I'm down. First off, Amir Garrett. Now, I'm sure you know who Amir Garrett is. Garrett had a 320 ERA for the Reds last year out of the bullpen and was even better when it came down to punching Pirates. So 
Brent, what do you think his MLB The Show rating is? Uh, I know that they're all like notoriously low, so I want to say like uh, 80. Well, Amir Garrett's MLB The Show rating is Amir 72. In comparison, Oliver mm-hmm. Perez of Cleveland is a 74. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, you got to wonder what the guys who put the the, the ratings and, and the skill development stuff with them into a game. Because um, clearly, like, you know, Ollie Perez versus, versus Garrett, like, that, that should at least be swept, you know, and realistically, you know, Garrett should be definitely higher. Um, you know, part of me wonders, too, if they kind of do it just because it, it helps get that additional little push um, of conversation going about the game and, and hype to, around the game. You know, kind of like how I think it was Trevor Bauer a few weeks ago tweeted out um, about Manfred whenever he, you know, went on one of his stupid comments about whatever rule change he wanted to implement. Um, you know, Bauer made a comment about it. Um, if you look at what Manfred does, this is kind of what he does. He throws out like the most absurd thing just to create that hype and then he reels it in and, and you know, says, you know, this is actually going to be the rule so there's not that much of a, of a, Lowback, but yeah, he's already created that um, initial interest and, and initial hype. So part of me wonders if they're doing that. Um, and then, you know, of course, the other, the other thing, too, right, is you, you can always go in and edit the guys, right, so it turns out rhythm. So, um, you know, that, that, again, I think it might all play into them just kind of trying to drum up some more interest, you know, from guys that aren't hardcore baseball fans that don't, you know, run right at their – every day the elections open and buy it on the So, uh, yeah, I totally get that aspect of it. We're going to see some more ridiculous ones in a little bit. I think we've got four here. Um, Zach Britton is up next. Britton had a 191 ERA last year for the Yankees and is entering his age 32 season. Brent, name that rating. Uh, so, Perez was a 74, you said? Sorry? So, I'm going to... Perez was a 74, you said, eh? Yes, Perez is a 74. So uh, I'm going to say Britton's like a 77. Zach Britton is a 72, again below Oliver Perez. Now, I don't know if Ramon Russell fell asleep on his keyboard for this one, but there is no way to me that Britton should be so low. Do do, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Like, uh, yeah, that's just absurd. He's been one of the more dominant relievers for a few years now, and he's only a 72 in the game. Now we'll take a look at a hitter, Tim Anderson, reigning MLB batting champ. Last season, Anderson hit 335, but he did lead the league in errors at 26. Keeping that in mind, what do you think his rating is? Uh, a solid 70. A 70? He is a 77. So uh, you can go either way on this one. You think it should be higher. You think it should be lower. I was a little surprised at how low it was. I think the hitting might boost him a little bit. He hits the long ball. He hits for average. He struggles defensively, but I think that maybe his bat could have boosted that rating a little bit. You think it was lower? You think it should have been lower? Uh, No, I mean, I think 77 is not that bad. Maybe, you know, maybe 80. Maybe. But again, you know, the the errors are kind of a, a big thing there, right? So. Uh, our final player is Juan Soto. And in case you were unaware, in case you didn't listen to the podcast in the postseason last year, I am not in the slightest a fan of his crotch grab after taking a pitch. 
But Soto had 110 RBI last year and led his team to a World Series. He also owned a 7.4 war. So, Brent, what do you think his rating is? Uh, like 83. Sorry? 83. 83 is right on the nose. He is an 83 in MLB The Show. I was a little surprised. I thought he deserved to be an 85 at least. Do you agree with the 83 rating? No, definitely should be higher. Like, you know, know, I was looking like, isn't like Trout only like a 95? We'll get into that in a little bit. We're almost, we got got something else planned. But uh, I may have just spoiled it a little bit for you. So you got one of the answers to my next question. But... (laughs) Soto is a young rising star in the game who had a great year last year. I think he should be higher. Oh, for sure. Totally. That's 100%. So now, I, now this could be completely wrong. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it myself. But I heard there is a 99 club in MLB The Show 20. There are four players in that 99 overall club who I believe have – I'm not too sure what it is, but they are 99 overall somewhere in some mode in the game. Can you name all four players? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, there are two hitters and two pitchers. So this is like all of them too, like legends and everything? No, no, no. This is just current players. Just no. current players? Yeah, there are uh, four players, two hitters, two pitchers. Okay, I, I'd have to say like Trout, Akinia Jr., uh, pitchers, um, Scherzer, and DeGrom. Wow, so you got three out of four. Trout is a 99, Scherzer, DeGrom are 99s, but it is uh, Nolan Arenado, who is the other 99 as a hitter, uh, third baseman for the Colorado Rockies. Do you agree with him being a 99 overall? Oh, yeah, definitely. That kid's a stud. Yeah, he can hit, he plays phenomenal defense, and he is a fantastic all-around player for the Rockies. Well, Brent, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope to have you on again at some point later this season. Hopefully the games start pretty soon. Thank you all very much for tuning in, and we will see you all next week.